Welcome back, everyone, to Merge Conflict in episode 400. Hi, James. Thank you for suffering through 400 inane diatribes. Is that a word that I go on from time to tangents? Uh, thank you, sir. I think last time we had a reunion or uh, anniversary. It's none of those things. A memorable show number. Uh, you are very nice to me, so I'm just trying to think of nice things to say about you, and I can't think of any. So thank you, James, for doing this show with me. It's been wonderful. It's, it's my honor, my privilege, and it's a fantastic to be on the other side of the mic and the other side of the webcam every single week for so many years and so many bonus podcasts. If you're interested in app updates from Frank Krueger and if his app <laughs> is in the App Store, head over to our Patreon, where you can support us after 400 episodes, patreon.com forward slash merchconfidentfm. You can find a link in the show notes and uh, it's free trial. You just check it out. You can just listen to it. And within the first 30 seconds, you'll know. We were taking a, uh, a tour down memory lane mm-hmm. and uh, cable technology. A lot of people, you know, Frank, they think of the RCA cables. They think of the component cables. They think of the HDMI, the display. They think mm-hmm. of the modern stuff. No. The cable I was thinking of huh. was, well, one, with the NES, you got the RF adapter, which is pretty cool. But Weird. the ones that are even cooler are the RF adapters that have the TV game switch to antenna one. And these are two little prongs that go into the antenna slot. And um, I don't know how this magical thing worked, but basically allowed you to, for all intents and purposes, make it so, you know, modern TVs have multiple hdmi inputs you switch between them it basically turns your old tv that had like an antenna port one to have multiple ports and it's mind-bogglingly amazing okay boomer are we talking (laughs) about old broadcast tv stuff today (laughs) is that what's going on no more about your atari 2600 and pitfall and all those games but okay they, they are cool okay we're we're old we could be old for a second I, I played all those. I played all. I played every device I had as a kid required one of those adapters because yeah, TVs had uh, ears or had a little cable jack. You, yep. you had nothing else. You know what? Uh, that's what separated TVs from monitors. Monitors had inputs that you could connect things to, but monitors are more expensive. We had TVs, yep. <laughs> and so we got those janky RF adapters. <laughs> and yes. Uh, because dad required to watch cowboy shows at night and had to have the little switch. So you could switch between Atari 2600 and cowboy TV shows. Boom. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I remember late nights, I had a very old, like, you know, 13 or 14 inch, you know, you know, diode, whatever. I still might be at my parents' house. Who knows? <laughs> uh, and playing my NES, my SNES there. And I think for my N64, I needed to actually put it on the normal TV because it didn't have the inputs anymore. There was no way to get that anymore into this old TV. And then obviously I went through the eras. Um, you know, funny story, you were telling me about your Dreamcast story. I want to get into it. And we do have a lot of <laughs> questions for our 400. We do these uh, lightning topics and we're going to do Patreon and Twitter and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, I actually, I used to work at GameStop uh, for many moons and there was one time, I forget if it was before I worked at GameStop or maybe after I worked at, no, it was definitely before maybe or during, we had a promotion that was like, trade in any game and get a Dreamcast for $5. And you know, I've only owned Nintendo consoles forever. And <laughs> I go, I, I guess I'll buy a Dreamcast because, you know, Dreamcast went from $5. like, yeah, it like just, they had so many of them just sitting around. So like, mm-hmm. I guess I'll get this Dreamcast and hook it up. And I had Crazy Taxi. Uh, cruise in USA, and I think like NBA, okay. one of the 2K games or whatever. It, um, it, it just just putting this out there. If you still have Cruise in USA, uh, I will give you big dollar bills for that. <laughs> I don't have anything. I got rid of everything. Oh no! I think I think I was like, ooh, you know what? I well, can, I can do like in a wait a year, and I'll trade this in for twenty dollars. I think that's what yeah. I did. Um, but what what an interesting era in gaming. But you mm-hmm. recently acquired said Dreamcast. Uh, no, I have had a Dreamcast that I have been nursing along in a sealed box for mm. literally decades at this point. Wow. Uh, I have a whole story about why I've been doing this. I'll try not to bore you too much with it, but it's a, it's kind of a fun story. But basically, I have had a Dreamcast in a box with the 
four or five games I ever could afford to buy. Even wow. like I was even buying my games when they were getting cheap too. So first, like the games got cheap, and then the console got cheap. Um, and so I'd been keeping around a few games. Shenmue. Anyone out there play Shenmue? Hi, yeah, Shenmue. Shenmue. Yeah. Uh, those great, not DVD graphics. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so I, I had been, I'd been carrying this thing around and then a friend was visiting and I was telling him a joke about how I still have this old Dreamcast. And then we might've had a few drinks and we decided, I wonder if that we can get the Dreamcast working again. And so I went through a whole fun, modern experience of trying to get an old piece of hardware working on modern TVs and all that kind of stuff. It was fun. Yeah. It, it couldn't have been that bad because... Well, okay, my TV, I guess it is a pretty old plasma. I don't even sell plasmas anymore, but can I even recycle a plasma? Um, I, I think I got to pay a lot of money. To I think you pay. Company. Yeah, I think I pay. <laughs> um, so th- this one it was when I first moved to Seattle. So that was mm. 13 years ago. Wow. And I mean, sure. the blacks are so deep oh. on this plasma. How deep are <laughs> the blacks? They are zero, 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 zero deep. Um, yeah, I mean, I love it. I've I've repaired it twice. I've actually bought parts oh. off the internet to repair them and to repair it in general. So the first one was the screws uh, got a little untightened in the back that were kind of like making connections. So it would hum if I think the, the oh, blocks got annoying. too high. Yeah. So I opened it up, re-screwed everything in, it went away. The oh. other one is one of the panels because uh, there's strips basically that go across. Okay. The, and the light goes across or whatever. But basically one of got the it. panels... Um, that went bad. And I think we talked about it on the podcast. I got one of the, what are the things that detects the electricity pulses? <laughs> An oscilloscope or a multimeter? Multi, I got one of those multimeters and I was yes. like, okay, what's there? Now my TV though um, has uh, RCA component in. It's right. got the yep, HDMIs. Yep, yep. It's, it's got the arcs. It's got all the things. It got the latest technology people. Uh, so when I brought out my Nintendo Wii, and I have the component mm-hmm. cables. I get the crispest HD 480p signal that anyone's seen. On this. Uh, those, those, <laughs> That's those, <tight>. those blacks, <laughs> almost black. Um, yeah, it really so, depends on the palette. I don't think they ever actually put black, like true no, black in the palette. No, but anyway, no, <laughs> keep, please no, keep going. <laughs> yeah. uh, so for me, I, I had like no issues because everything is pretty good. Uh, in my world. So I, that's why I was like, when you told me like, I'm pretty sure Dreamcast had, and that's the Xbox era. So it had to have had RCA and component cable out. What, why couldn't you just hook it up? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what was offered with the machine. What I had was composite out. So the yellow coaxial connector, that's yeah. what we use in the United States at least. Um, right. So that's your color channel and your um, brightness channel muxed mm-hmm. together onto one signal. It's almost like a broadcast signal really close to a broadcast signal. Yeah. So that's your composite connector. I was all excited. I had my yellow connector in my hand. I, funnily enough, I do have a plasma TV in the other room and I could have jammed it in there, but my living room TV, I want to hook my Dreamcast up to the living room TV. That's where game consoles go. Living room TV. Go back to the back of the TV. HDMI, 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 coax. And not the right kind of coax. <laughs> oh, weird. Like, oh, so I bought my TV. Either I got the cheap model that didn't have many inputs, or I bought it at that weird time when everyone thought everything was just going to be HDMI forever, uh, which pretty much everything is these days. But hmm. it, it was funny because I really was used to TVs with yeah monitors, basically, with 8 billion different kinds of inputs on them. So nope, my uh, I'm holding my little yellow cable, and there's uh, let alone the red and white cables for the audio. There there were no yeah. audio inputs either. Yeah. So, what what is one to do at this point? <laughs> I guess you could have went online and got a coaxial RF adapter, possibly. No, I, I have a house guest. We we are trying to play oh. some Dreamcast right now. You know, the the real question is is any soldering going to be involved? Okay, so that's. <laughs> what did you do what did you do well honestly i thought i was gonna go find your beloved rf adapter yeah um because i was pretty sure uh the tv did have the cable tv slash antenna connector the screw-in coaxial connector and those rf adapters from the 1980s i'm pretty sure tvs can still accept an analog signal through that port and so honestly i was i was digging through boxes how many boxes of cables do you have i still have a lot I treat I triage my box, <laughs> my two boxes every year and I purge them. And yet every year 
they seem to be full every time I open them. I don't heavier, understand. Heavier every time, every <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> um, well, this is terrible because every year I say I need to get rid of more cables. But have you ever like opened a box and saw exactly the right cable? It was like there was a, a, a sign from the heavens that like, for once I could find a cable that I was looking for. This this has never oh. happened to me in my life. It was, yeah, it was just, I was like, I should go buy some lottery tickets. This is my day. Uh, wow. It felt good. Uh, what I didn't, I didn't find that RF adapter because God, who has those? I, I certainly don't have any more. What I found was even better. A composite to USB converter, a digitizer, an what? external digitizer. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Capture cards, 480p capture cards. I remember um, I bought these for my drones oh. um, because uh, if you're cheap like me and you get um, a standard definition uh, drone video transmitter, it's standard definition broadcast, um, usually basically broadcast TV style, different hmm. frequencies often, uh, but same signal, essentially. And so you can get a little uh, receiver that's basically like the old broadcast receiver in your TV, yeah. but it's a little box. Uh, from that box, you plug it into a digitizer to get it into a computer. Ah. So I could, on my computer, monitor my drone via... A wireless capture card two levels of capture yeah wow so i had that puppy uh (laughs) it's funny it's usba um i had my laptop laptops usba anymore (laughs) how many dongles did you use (laughs) (laughs) go find the stupid usb-c dongle plug the usba into the usb-c plug that into the computer plug the hdmi cable back into the tv complete the wow. circuit and get Full 270 perfection. I'm pretty sure it's 480. I'm pretty sure um, that digitizer does the deinterlacing because that's a risk. Yeah. You you actually named a real possible risk there. You might get the interlaced frames, not the full yeah. frame. Listen, you know what you do want, get? You don't want oh. the 1080i. You got the 1080i garbage signal 1080p <laughs> only. I don't know what the P stands for, but I don't want it. I do want it. I don't want the, I don't want the interlace. I want the progressive scan, progressive insurance. Okay. But that's not the worst. Um, (laughs) This is, this is too hard for you to guess, but I want you to attempt to guess. There is a, there's a real problem in this setup. And I want you to just try to guess there, there is a, and I'll even give you a hint. It's at the top of the frame. The question is, does it downsample? Is it downsampling Mm -hmm, it into, mm -hmm. no, it's a good capture card. Okay. One could say the problem is because it's too good of a capture card. Is it then scaling oddly, like down or up? To, 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 to I mean, are you get, is it stretching? Faithful. You get a decent okay. capture card. You're you're good. You're good. You're getting the 480p uh, signal. I don't know then. The American closed caption line is the very first scan line on a TV signal. Oh. Uh, it is a little digital signal. And if you have a monitor hooked up to broadcast TV, or if you have a poorly copied DVD and it shows you every single scan line, you will see at the very top um, a blinky black and white pattern, a digital pattern. Uh, Yeah. That is the closed caption encoding. It's encoded as the very first scan line. TVs Hmm. get away with this because TVs are terrible. Cathode ray tubes uh, lop off the first five-ish scan lines usually i mean depending if you had like a good trinitron they would lop off only a couple but um most of them were terrible and so you would never physically see uh that top closed captioning line but when and the dreamcast being a very good device of course encodes the closed captioning line good good people because this is pre-dvd but um it was still video cd days Mm-hmm. and Good rips on video CD had um, uh, closed captioning, so they were faithful. They supported it. Good device is a good device. Uh, uh, un- unfortunate device. Uh, I mean, obviously the controller I think was co-developed by Microsoft and some of the stuff. It like ran a uh, Windows CE. The CE. Best, the best part of the Dreamcast is on the front. There's a little Windows CE logo yeah. on it. It's yeah. the cutest thing on the planet. That's so good. It is. Uh, 
it, it's fascinating. I so my entire lineage was always Nintendo consoles. So I had every Nintendo console. I, I I did buy a used PlayStation Two only to play Dance Dance Revolution, which I have behind a map behind me for my Wii, which I play now. Great, <laughs> and I then. Um, always had every Nintendo console ever. And I did own an Xbox and a 360 and a one and X and all the things, but mm-hmm. I was never really a PlayStation person, but uh, I've always owned every Nintendo hand held every Nintendo console ever. Yeah. Yeah. Always yeah. there. I never got into Sega consoles because, you know, back in the day, it was really a Nintendo versus Sega thing. So I was team Nintendo. I just was my life still am got to, you know, switches around me right now, um, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, which leads us Frank into our first question. Only 15 minutes in. Perfect. <laughs> uh, it's a atypical. It's a celebrate. It's a celebration, people. We're having fun. Um, so the question is, any new portable, uh, Jerry Ross asks, any new portable consoles handheld to try out? Um, we talk about uh, portable stuff all the time. I've talked about a bunch of little different devices that I've uh, tried out here. Emulation, little consoles become very popular. They've advanced mm-hmm. a lot. Obviously, the Nintendo Switch, you know, kickstarted. There's always been handles. Nintendo's had Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, you know, Color. They had the DS, all these things. They've been handheld forever, and so did, uh, you know, Sega and, and Sony and all these things. So handles are Don't forget aren't the new. Jaguar. Yep. <laughs> Don't forget the Jaguar, the Atari Lynx, just saying. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, things to check out. Um, uh, Retroid uh, uh, released the Pocket 4, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, the A Neo, they have a Flip, which uh, actually is a... Oh a flip console, kind of like a Nintendo DS. It can actually emulate Nintendo DS and Nintendo and uh, Wii U games, which is kind of cool with the dual screen. Um, you know, I I'll tell you this much. Um, I personally think the little handhelds are super cool. I just really haven't had the time or effort or energy. Like I've spent more time setting them up and getting all my games set up on them than actually playing any other games. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say okay. it's like a morning device. Like I woke up, but I don't want to get up. I'm just going to play in bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I have to ask the, the, the flip one. So two screens, huh? How much does that puppy cost? That one has two screens. That's a good question. The, the Ann Neo flip DS. What's a good, let's see what it's. And also while you're looking that, that up, not to make every episode about the vision pro, but I must try it. Every episode has got to be about the vision pro and machine learning. Um, God, emulators would be so cool on there. I wish I played oh, out yeah. emulators. Oh, it'd be so wonderful. It, it, it would be an amazing, like you could set up arcades of games, literal arcades. Yeah, these A Neos are pretty expensive. Are You're they? looking at like seven hundo. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know Hello. these these little consoles have gone. They go up and up because the Steam Deck, right? Really kind of. Yeah brought things for us. So you want the power, right? The full fledged one. Um, the Miu mini is a uh, Miu mini plus are really small, tiny ones. Very, very popular to check out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would, I would tell people to go to retro game corps cores, okay. retro core. game corpse, like the military no. corpse cores, core, just corpse corpse. corpse. No, no, no P and no S just core. C O R. Russ, uh, who used to be, uh, in the military. Uh, good guy, uh, friend of the show uh, there. I would say the ones that I haven't seen a lot of recently that mostly sparked my interest were the the tiny itty bitty ones. There's like tiny itty keychain size ones. They're so cool. No. Um, I had a Tamagotchi. They're not that great. Oh, they're definitely amazing. Um, <laughs> so um, I don't know. You know, I, I haven't really been too into them recently. That being said, you know, um, I will say that the PlayStation portal is in- interesting. It's not a handheld, but basically if you have a PlayStation five, it's a dedicated streaming device to stream your games over the internet uh, or Wi-Fi directly here. This is kind of the Wii U dream, but it just didn't have the same versatility. And I think the cool part about it is they strapped two of the, basically they, they took the controller and they chopped it in half and they put it on the side. So it's like an eight inch screen. So it's really cool, but, you have to have a PlayStation, obviously. There is a oh. Logitech G Cloud, which has been around for a while. But there's other these streaming devices that basically will hook up to your computer and stream games to them. They're mm-hmm. interesting, but I'm still not, I'm still like, again, not 100% sold on the fact that like 
you need one probably or you'll spend the time. Like I do love retro games. I just haven't found the time for them. But the Retroid is like the Retroid, I think, is the the classic will do everything for you. Runs yeah. on Android, has a really great operating system, skin, customization, does a lot of takes care of a lot of the hard stuff that is manual. So the Retroid Pocket 4 Pro or 4 or whatever, those are those are solid. That's what I would say. I'm I'm gonna make some gross generalizations here for a moment. Please please cool. excuse me, everyone. But I assume if you're buying one of these devices, you kind of have a game in mind. There's, unless you're like a game historian and you're trying to be like a completist, like I've played literally every video game ever created by humankind. Cool. Uh, but you're pro- you probably have like a game from your childhood that you probably are trying to play on this thing. So just get the best one for that game. Don't worry about all the other features and that kind of stuff. I was thinking about that even with the Dreamcast. I, I believe the actual reason the Dreamcast failed as a product is because the Sonic game they shipped with it is horrendous. Sonic is, Adventures? It's terrible. It's the worst game I've ever played in my whole life. You're just downhill skiing the entire time. Come on. I, I can't even get past the first level because I, I, I refuse to figure out the controls. It's it's one of those early 3D <laughs> games that they were still figuring out the camera controls and the motion of the character controls. And it is the worst game ever created. I will stand on that. If they had just released a 2D Sonic, the Dreamcast would have worked out. Uh, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, before we get all of the hate mail in the entire world, let's head over to our Patreon. And let's see. We asked our Patreon members. Thank you for being members. Um, what are your questions? We got a few questions coming in. The first one from John Segara says, Frank, oh. uh, didn't Ooh. care about me, by the way. Frank, nice. thanks. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, John. John. <laughs> um, have you switched to VS Code on Mac? Are you still using VS for Mac? Using Rider? Something different? What's the scoop? Or have you moved to uh, a different operating system? <laughs> no, I uh, still on the Mac, James. You're not gonna take my Mac away just yet. <laughs> I'm trying to switch over to Vision OS, right? Ah. That, that, that's where I want to live. Uh, I do everything in VS Code except Xamarin development. I do that now in Rider. I've switched mm. over to Rider for all of that. Sadly, VS Mac, untimely death. Um, so we all had to pick something. I would, VS Code has pros and cons. I, I love VS Code. I, I don't want to say anything bad about it because I certainly use it all day, every day. I love it. Um, but it's not an IDE. <laughs> and I find Writer is still better than VS Code. Um, Definitely for Xamarin, mostly because VS Code doesn't support Xamarin very well or at all. Uh, so, like, you get debugging features. You know, you you get everything that you expect out of a proper IDE when you do that. Uh, that said, uh, when everything is switched over to .NET 8 now, <laughs> um, the debugger will light up in VS Code. Uh, so it's it's a good question because we'll have to ask it again in a year. Uh, but right now, at this moment. Um, like my Mac and iOS apps, I, I use Rider for mostly. There you go. Yeah, we'll ask it. I was at 450, which would be about a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, on my, on my end, I I do have some Xamarin Mac still. Um, Xamarin Mac apps, the My Stream Timer, although I do need to convert mm-hmm. it to Maui and that would solve a yeah. lot of problems. But maybe I just won't. Maybe I won't. But, you know, I can still use, you know, um, Visual Studio for Mac to, to do that if I wanted to. I have uninstalled mm-hmm. everything. So I think it would force me to move things to Mac because I don't have it anymore. Um, else for all of my, I mean, it's, I would say this, even even though I have a Mac, I would still say the majority of my development is always on Windows. So mm-hmm. I've always just been a Windows person. And in fact, even when I was at Xamarin with a Mac and only a Mac is my main thing, I often would be in VMware parallels, to be honest with you. So I would say for me and what I've talked to a lot of people is like they just use you know parallels and just you use full yeah. visual studio on their Mac as a great option it's and that tempting. does work. It's tempting. Um fusion I, I use VMware Fusion. Um yeah. continues to be good software. Yeah. And I, I I have a Windows 11 image that's almost always running in the background. Um yeah. I just find the you know if, if, VMware Fusion, great product, but there's always some small keyboard thing, you know, there's always something. And so I still kind of prefer the native Mac apps uh, yeah. for 
of it. But I, I, it's good to know that Visual Studio is always sitting like literally a swipe away. I can just do it. Totally, totally true. Yeah, and I think, um, I think it's a, a a nice option that's out there, and I think it's gotten a lot better, obviously, because of Windows Arm and Visual Studio Arm builds and things like that have gotten so much better. So the M support is like much, much better. Uh, that's out there today, yeah. which is nice. And I should say, um, I'm using uh, VS Code for definitely all my like .NET 8 stuff, like libraries and test projects and all that, because I do think VS Code's an excellent editor, yeah. especially with Copilot and everything lit up. Oh, and if you get the C-sharp, uh, like uh, the unit testing and all that has come a really long way. So yeah. it's actually a pretty nice unit testing environment I found. Yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes going forward. But I think that is the nice part. It's like any anything, right? There's a lot of different IDs, a lot of code editors, things out there. So um, Mm -hmm. yeah, use what makes you happy. Very nice. Um, Very cool. All right. So (laughs) next question from Patreon. Dave asks, uh, I'm in a corporate setting and we have a mix of .NET framework. I like that. And .NET 6 apps. (laughs) We're having conversations about keeping some on framework for now, since technically if we updated to .NET 6, which end of life's in November, or even eight, we'd have to turn around and update again sooner than just leaving things on .NET Framework 4.8. From my understanding, .NET Framework will be supported as long as Windows 10 or 11. Am yeah. I wrong <laughs> in thinking this? And what should I do for my entire company? Frank and James, you are experts in running <laughs> businesses. Well, uh, can I, uh, let me give my not Microsoft, uh, my outsider's perspective on all of this. Uh, me personally, I, I would try to get off a of framework as soon as it's convenient. Uh, I wouldn't rush. I wouldn't trip over yourself to do it, but I would try to get off of it. Mm. But you are absolutely right. As far as I understand, um, uh, there are certain versions of .NET that ship with Windows, not all versions. Um, and the ones that actually ship with Windows tend to handle the same um, update cycle as windows uh, you're, you're getting fresh service releases and bug fixes and security f- flaw that's what you really want are the security fixes because like if the thing does what you need it to do you don't need to upgrade it so what you really want are the security patches and things like that um but as a library developer also please get off of 4.8 <laughs> please 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 get on to real.net um and i would Six is going to be around for a long time. I think even longer than four point eight. And once you're on six, going to eight is easy. You know, like because they got good at the backwards compatibility after five six. <laughs> so no. once you get up to six, you're kind of in really good shape. Um, things don't really break after that. Yeah, uh, fascinating. Um, I yeah, I've I've a uh, you know, listen. I think that everyone <laughs> should try to move to .NET 8. It's an LTS release. You might as well just go for it. Why go to 6, which is an yeah. LTS release, when you just go to 8, if you're going to make the move there? Uh, you should really move all your 6 apps to 8 already. In fact, I would encourage actually just going with every single release. I think that folks, here's my general opinion, James Montemagno opinion, mm-hmm. is you should upgrade every single version of .NET all the time. You should move from LTS to STS to LTS, everything here, just keep moving. It'll make your life so much easier. And honestly, it probably will simplify the the amount of time invested if you just take some time to do that. Just like if you were moving from .NET Framework 4.8.1 to 4.8.2, like if you just keep moving with it, just keep it moving, keep going. Now, that being said, um, if you are moving any frameworks projects, just go directly to eight, like just do that because it's <laughs> just came out and it's supported and you're totally good to go. You should just do that. Mm-hmm. So skip everything else. It doesn't <laughs> matter anymore. Um, now if, uh, you are correct, basically .NET framework is supported for as long as it ships with windows basically, which is probably forever because definitely <laughs> in there, right? Windows uh, isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Not going anywhere. Uh, so you're totally good. Um, now that being said, um, do I think that you should move off your apps off of framework? Well, I know it depends on your app. If your app is just kind of in maintenance mode, you're just fixing bugs and you're not really, maybe not even fixing bugs. And like, it's just an app that just does its thing and continues to work. And you don't really care about necessarily maybe modernizing the UI or you don't necessarily need new HD, um, 
DPI, you know, high density mm -hmm. uh, settings. If you're using WinForms or WPF, or you don't need new features, or your library is okay, uh, and you're and you're not using dependent. If all of your dependencies are still getting updated with security things, um, like you're probably fine. Just leave it there. It's totally fine. Is there it never heard anything? Mm -hmm. It's totally fine. You're you're totally fine. Now, if you are working on apps that would like to take advantage of those modern features um, and you want that long-term support and you want security and their core fundamentals, yeah, you should probably look at moving those things forward to .NET 8 there. I mean, all of your favorite libraries and all of your frameworks support them. So WinForms, WPF, console applications, like that stuff moves over. And at this point, I mean... I got to say, like, if you were moving between framework and like .NET Core 1 or 2.1, like probably the API service is pretty different. But then I also have to imagine at this point, the API services that are different, You, depending on your app, you might run into some things. But I also feel like there's workarounds for anything that maybe you're running pretty into. Pretty much like everything. Yeah. App domains? Yep. Um, the, uh, Olay, ActiveX, if, you, if you're doing any com stuff in Windows, you're, I, I honestly can't even tell you .NET 8's <laughs> com support. I'm sure they have some, but um, I, I can't even tell you how well it works. Yeah. So, uh, and there are, is on the .NET website. Uh, you can go to the .NET website and there's support policy. Just Google it and you'll see all the latest things and the support policy for everything that's on there. Um, yeah, basically .NET Framework um, you know, follows the lifecycle policy of the underlying Windows OS. So that, that would be the same there. So whatever the lifecycle mm -hmm. policy is there. So is that. So, I mean, that's my opinion. You know, I'm um, uh, I'm a fan of moving when it's the right time and it doesn't necessarily have to be or, or when apps are just OK. And if they're not broken, and there's no chance yeah. of them being broken. Like they'll continue to run pro probably OK. Yeah. Controversial. I mean, even... Yeah, even without the security updates, six is going to run just fine for probably the next ten years, to be quite honest. But we don't talk about that. You're supposed to upgrade, 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 upgrade. Uh, can can I just just be? Uh, there's one problem with this upgrade idea, and I, maybe you'll, maybe you can bring this back to the higher ups who plan out these schedules and everything, James. Just a little thought experiment here. You as a developer, how many times do you do file new project in a year? Me, I don't know, maybe a couple times a month, maybe 20 times, 30 times. I do file mm -hmm. new in a year. How many years have I been programming? Oh, I don't know, 20, 30 years. So, you know, we, we can just start doing some math and you can easily get into the hundreds and hundreds of projects that now I have to upgrade every year. No, that's not going to happen. Um, so it's I, I do have this kind of raw fundamental problem with this upgrade culture. I don't think it's correct. Um, I think when our industry gets more advanced and wiser, uh, we'll stop it with this rat race. Uh, but for now, just you got to join the rat race and update your 500 apps every year. I think it just, I don't know. I think it depends. Every app is different, right? And it's obviously very different if you have an app that is a single project versus 10 projects versus 100 projects, right? Those apps are mm -hmm. all fundamentally different, have different, you know, different things that are... Um, Will, will cause different time, different testing. Every app has different complexity, right? Obviously, an app that shows a single screen, a uh, number on the <laughs> screen has a very different implication versus uh, financial software that like runs the world. You know what I mean? Like there's different things there. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, you know, if you look at some of the, you know, customer stories on the .NET website of even internal Microsoft, you see like the Teams application and the Bing team upgrading mm -hmm. every single year and getting huge performance hits. And like, they are huge applications, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a cool story. It's like if some of the some of the applications that have the most users in the entire world can update every single year, they're that. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the engineering teams also are the same size of what you have in your company, but <laughs> I'm just saying it's possible. Uh, but... That's totally right. You know, and, and again, I don't want to be you update when it makes sense for you and your company and yourself, uh, because like I've said, like, while I have upgraded some of my applications that I'm out, I haven't upgraded all my applications and maybe I never will because maybe those apps are just <laughs> fine as is and I never need another update mm -hmm. again. Or maybe 
I don't need to take advantage of the new stuff or because I can keep shipping it until I can until I can't, then I'm okay. So it's just like anything. It's kind of like when we tell people, oh, should I use Flutter or Donna Maui or React Native or should I use Native or should I do this? Every app is different. Every use case is different. Every requirement is different. So, but I am, I am, I am encouraging people, I would yeah. say, if you can move with the cheese, move with the cheese. Because when I was a Xamarin developer, still am, we would just update. We were updating everything. We'd always get the latest yeah. bits and pieces every single year. You could not, A-leaf. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it just yeah, really I, depends. I feel like things are so stable now that actually moving between six, seven, and eight, it's probably not that big of a deal um, in general, right? Now, if you want to take some of the new, like for example, let's say you're a Blazor application. You're like, I, I was on six, now I'm at seven, now I'm at eight. Your application won't work exactly the same. Now, if you want to take some of the advantage of the new features, like, having mixed render modes where some of it's WebAssembly and some of it's server, well, then you got to do some actual work there, right? And that's like implementing mm-hmm. a new feature. But if you're just taking your app and moving it forward, ideally minimal changes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I found that in practice too, uh, that to be true. Yeah. Hopefully they just won't add random things to the global namespace like they did in the past. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, here's some quick lightning round Ooh. questions coming in from John Galloway. When are the cloned Ooh. woolly mammoths coming back? And can the two of you do something to speed that up? Oh, that's a good one. Um, hmm. Hmm. Soon hmm. they look woolly and fuzzy and cuddly. Do they? Were, were there some test subjects? Do we have some beta? I don't know. <laughs> I am, Alpha mammoths? <laughs> I am watching. I'll give you a TV show recommendation uh, that was recently added to Netflix, which is okay. Resident Alien, which has one of my favorite actors, Alan Tudyk. Tunic? Tudyk. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yep. Oh, yeah. He acts funny because yes. he does act funny. Uh, pretty good show. I'm enjoying it. There's two seasons at least. <laughs> um, big fan because he was on Firefly with Nathan Fillion. Also huge Nathan Fillion fan. I just fan. saw that the other day. <laughs> ah, so good. All right. Um, quick from Jerry Ross. Any updates on wait, Frank's? Wait, answers. Answers, James. Are you no. helping the mammoths or not? No? Oh, I mean, I'm pro-mammoth. Tell me how John and I will help mammoths. Yes. They deserve to live. I'm pro. Uh, any updates on Frank's home automation project? Oh, yes. Um, it's it's in a worse state than it's ever been. <laughs> I think we compl- I complained about it on the episode a few months back. Um, I, I did implement James. James had very wise, very sage device. I'm like, James. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, James, I am overloading the server. I am asking it to do way too much in a single request. And James had the brilliant idea. Had you considered increasing your timeouts? <laughs> And so I did that. I increased my timeouts and um, it worked again for another two months and then it stopped working again. So I can either increase my timeouts again or I am going to have to have a proper Twitch episode uh, to do my thermostats. Now, those are my thermostats. I have to say the rest of my house is amazing. Uh, The big project that I did where I replaced all the light switches, that, that was the pro move. The light bulb game was getting to be too much. Now that I have full control of everything, works out beautifully. Some things turn on at dusk. Some things turn off at midnight. I love it all. It, it's worked out really well. So everything nice. but the thermostats, I would say. <laughs> I love that. I'm, uh, I've am i gone very far into the Zigbee world and things are going really well. I agree. I'm on the light switch game and not the light bulb game. It is the pro moves. Uh, and I do think that it just saves you money in the long run in general. Now you don't, I do think that there are some instances where the light bulb makes sense, which is when you want different colors. So usually one of those around is good to have, but there are a lot of light switches that can do dimmer. So if you just want the dimmer aspect of it, you can do that as well. So, and also buy the right light bulb. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. Yes. (laughs) All right, here we go. Uh, Danny asked 10 questions. Here we go. Yes Love or no? <laughs> Are we any closer to fully driving cars? Yes. Yeah, we're closer. Yeah. All right. Uh, number two. <laughs> um, what was Wasm? What has Wasm unlocked for developers? Are we starting to see things on the web that weren't previously possible? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was just looking to run a physics engine, the Bullet physics engine. And the current best way to run the Bullet Physics Engine on the web browser is Wasm. Uh, 
And so I would say it's been a real wonder for bringing all the basically old software, <laughs> all the classic old 80s, 90s software that we all love and rely on every day, bringing all that to the web. Um, I think Wasm has knocked things out of the park. And it plays Doom. Uh, number three, are we starting to reach a point of diminishing returns on battery technology? No. Boom. Okay, done. That's it. You just get one answer, okay. Frank. No. Um, four, Frank, has an Apple, as an Apple developer, why am I not an Apple developer as well? Fra okay, no, okay. This is specific. Uh, this is around you. Okay. Stigma. It says, Frank has been an Apple app developer for 16 years. All right. He's longer than me. I'm at like 12. Yeah. Is Apple's walled garden, no side loading app review, lockdown app mm -hmm. store, a net benefit for users overall, or is Android's approach better for users and developers? Does Android have a better approach? I don't feel like Android has a better approach. They're all bad. So to there's answer that part of the question, no, Android's no better. I don't, I don't see any. I, yeah, there's no like store incentive for me to go onto Android. I don't find that process any better. No. Um, is the walled garden good for users? Deep down in my heart, I'm going to answer truthfully and say no. Um, I, I think there are benefits, but in a lot of ways, I kind of, I, I remember the nineties, everyone. I remember how many viruses used to go around. I do. I do. I swear. Um, but I don't think these lockdown stores have, have like made, made the state of the art any better than mm. it could have been. I think, I, I guess I am a evil American capitalist and I believe in an open market. <laughs> I believe in an open market. I think for me, what's important is that there is a standard, safe, approachable way standardized that enables me to release software with minimal yeah. efforts. And I think that these app stores, which have then come to Mac and to Windows, um, mm -hmm. and to every device standardization to me has, um, been positive. Okay. I, I know it's been positive <laughs> to me. It's great okay. because it, you know, I used to work when I worked at Canon, like we had our, you know, our big, uh, you know, Wix installer and all these crazy things and all this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And to release any software and stuff like that. And you've done it. You've done the, the, the gum road, uh, gum yep. shoe thingy. Yep. And like, yep. the, I think on Mac and windows, like you have the approach of, you can go either route. Right. Right. And as a developer, I like that option. And right. for me, I'm always just going to go in the app store because for me, distribution, ease of release, everything updates. Right. I like that being handled for me as an independent developer. And I also think that the, uh, the, the, um, the benefits and the user experience is net positive for users. Okay. Well, that's the distinguishing factor. Like as a developer, yeah, I ship on the store. Yeah. Uh, I, I prefer to ship on a store rather than another thing because tons of benefits there. Uh, notably search, uh, yeah. advertisement, they link you, but, um, it, it, from the users, if I'm, I'm thinking of like an alternate universe <laughs> where we didn't go down this path and instead Atari allowed any third party manufacturer to build their own cartridges. This all started with Atari. I still blame Atari for all of this. If anyone could have made their own cartridges and just sold their own cartridges, it would be a fundamentally different computing landscape these days. And yeah. Better, worse, I'm going to go with slightly better. <laughs> um, all right, number five. Uh, Danny said uh, he can Google it, but I would love to hear Frank's uh, explain elliptic curve encryption. I am not explaining elliptic curve encryption, mostly because I only understood it for about three months of my life. Okay. I don't um, heard of it, but <laughs> no, um, it's, it, it's, it's an overly fancy name. Um, doesn't matter if I say anything, I'm going to get whatever I say wrong. So I'm going to stop here where I am. So just say no, Danny, no, but Perfect. let's, let's private chat. That'll be fun. <laughs> Number six. I want to train my own LLM. That sounds like a terrible idea or an awesome Perfect. idea. Uh, awesome. so it can answer questions about my data. Where do I begin? Do you need your yourself. own LLM for that? I think you just feed it into GPT, no. right? 
Yeah, these days, especially with Gemini coming out, um, a little ML update here, context lengths are getting very big. We've talked about it in the past. Trillions. Um, so the way LLMs work, you train it very expensively, so it learns general knowledge, and then you have it solve specific problems uh, by fitting that problem within its context buffer, within a buffer. We're all programmers. Mm-hmm. Just jam that problem into a buffer. We're good to go. Buffer has to be big enough so it can generate the solution within the same buffer. That buffer has gotten really big in the last few months. And although I, I highly endorse uh, training LLMs, uh, truth is to get uh, one of the decent sized LLMs up to a good place, you're going to have to train it for a good week or two on like consumer grade hardware. Hmm. And it's going to take time. And you're going to do it wrong <laughs> the first 10 times. <laughs> and so it's a, you're really talking about a few months of work before you get something decent out of it. I truly believe you should go through it. I think it's an excellent exercise, um, especially for understanding how these stupid things work. But um, yeah, the commercial ones, it's becoming a much harder argument these days. Uh, Gemini is supposed to have 100,000 to a million uh, context length. I just read a new research paper where the performance of large language models has always been quadratic, squared, which is the worst. Uh, O-N squared, bad. Uh, but we're looking at linear models now, so mm. O-N. So uh, that's when you'll be able to put in the millions and 10 million context lengths, and it'll be, life will be great. And I think that, you know, there's tons of samples out there that do exactly what you want. Like the the standard model of, I have a bunch of documents, I want to shove it into a model and query data over, like that's out there. Like, you know, there's Azure mm-hmm. OpenAI samples, there's samples that run on other models, they're all out there, right? I actually think that there's, a, there's uh, obviously I, I know more of the Microsoft-y things that work at Microsoft, but it's like Azure AI Studio and like you can literally drag and drop your PDFs and it'll <laughs> be like, cool, like here's like, the, it just does all the stuff. It'll like do the Azure search indexing for you and do all the stuff. And you just, you point it at it and it just kind of goes. I literally just saw, I have a video uh, coming out where like um, HA from, um, ICHA from the um, M365 advocacy team shows how to use like a co-pilot, not get up, but a Microsoft co-pilot inside of Teams. And she's like drag, she drags a bunch of files in <laughs> and she's like, oh, here's this. And then she writes a Teams application that's like, hey, go look at all my contacts over here and like query like records. It's like amazing. It's like it's like awesome. five lines of code. It's like mind boggling. All right. Number seven, Gemini had a rough start with image generation. <laughs> AI is much more complicated than people realize. What are your thoughts? There's two questions there, I guess. Uh, my, my thoughts mm-hmm. are the prompts we use are terribly underspecified and i can't Mm. wait until we stop it with these idiotic hundred word prompts this is Mm. not the right way to be using neural networks so everyone knows the problem with gemini uh they gave equal weighting to all the peoples of the earth therefore when you ask for a generation of a human you got basically a random sampling of all the uh peoples of the earth but by not a random sampling by population but a random sampling by category and uh, that made everyone upset. I, I'm not too upset. The biggest lesson to learn from it is, gosh, the training data certainly does bias these things. And we have to be very careful with that training data. I don't have very strong opinions on whether I care that George Washington was female in this photo. I don't care. It's it's irrelevant. We all know it's a fake photo. It doesn't matter. Um, because you could be more specific with your prompt and get exactly what you want. People were giving very general prompts and getting very general results. Garbage in, garbage out. That's my opinion. Uh, mm. But it's a good reminder of how much control these companies have in the training and how much companies' biases reflect uh, neural networks themselves. Mm. And that's why I will always be in favor of Please, large companies continue to train very large networks so that we can all use them and benefit from them. But I also strongly believe in the open source world where smaller people are still training networks uh, so that we can have checks and balances against the big ones. I kind of feel like there's going to be a variety of models because the price point is, you know, for different activities and things that you want to do. Um, That's for sure. All right. Last question from Dan. I guess you only had eight, but is on the Apple Vision Pro. So again, these are just all questions for Frank. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Um, making the screen as big as it possibly can be and watching a movie, do you really, really feel like you're in a movie theater or will it never be the same experience or will it ever? 
you know, it's been a long time since I've been to like a good IMAX. Mm. But I would say this rivals any of the like normal theaters you go to these days. Maybe it doesn't rival an IMAX because an IMAX gives you that like peripheral bit. Yeah. Where, like you see something out of the corner of your eye. But uh, the field of view on this thing is pretty wide. I don't know if anyone's done any measurements on it exactly, but it's wide enough that um, you actually feel like that large object is large. Uh, mm. You can create the post stab problem where a large object can actually feel small, but uh, large objects feel large. And so when you make it room size, it feels like you're looking at a room size projection screen. And so I'd say... Yeah, theaters are doomed. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, you know, to me, well, there's a few things. One, I do think that there's an advent coming of uh, a, a small, re- a small renaissance of physical media. Um, I read some recent reports of how folks are maybe kind of going back to the DVD bins, for example. And, and uh, we have a whole, a bl- we've reinvested in some Blu-rays, for example. Did you? stop at the video store on occasion. And that's a fun experience, actually going to a video store. They exist everywhere, right? Even though, you know, I go to the blockbuster, there's, um, there's video stores in your local neighborhood that you can go. They, they exist out there and actually perusing and looking at box art. It's like kind of fun. You, there's things that you'll never find. Always love box art. It's a fun little, you read a little description. It's a lot more fun than doing that. And going through the bins at Walmart or Target or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, at some point, the problem with physical media is if they stop selling it, then you can't get it. But there'll always be used stores. You can still find vinyl. You know what I mean? Vinyl um, had that, a comeback for God's sake. <laughs> to me, the essence of going to the theater is like, it's sort of like a mini date night, right? It's an experience, getting the popcorn, mm-hmm. getting the the brew, getting the, 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 the cotton, you know, whatever it is. And getting these mm-hmm. these seats, and to me, it's the the it's the to me it's the the audio, right? I think you can get the video pretty good, the audio. But I'm actually curious to ask. To me, it's really not about the video because I feel like TVs mm-hmm. are ginormous and can fill the room. But how is the spatial audio, right? Because for me, when I'm in a Dolby Atmos and it's all around mm-hmm. me, I think that's the goal of it, right? And and how does that work? And obviously, it's a different experience of going to the movie with friends or a significant other and just watch a movie by yourself. Right. So those are two different things at this point in time. (laughs) Um, I think the audio is excellent. I, 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 I I apologize everyone if I ever sound too much like a fanboy on here, but this is my honest review. I think the audio is excellent. I hate the spatial audio on the iPhone. Hmm. Uh, I think it was on by default, but I bought some AirPods and I would move my head around and the position of the audio would change because like they were trying to position the audio to come from your phone, even though you're wearing headphones. So the orientation mm. to your head would matter. It's spatial audio. They were um, mapping the source into a 3D space. They do that same trick on the Vision Pro. Mm. But in the Vision Pro, it makes sense. It feels like the audio is coming from the movie screen mm. itself. And it feels great because like when you turn your head, it kind of feels like a movie theater where like the audio sounds a little bit different. So I really don't like the spatial audio on the phone, but on the Vision Pro, it feels fantastic. And I remember you had an early comment saying uh, you were sad they didn't use the bone conduction or something for the audio. Mm. I don't know what technology they're using. Honestly, like the speakers look tiny. They look like the cheap old Walkman ones you used to get as a kid. (laughs) But they sound fantastic. Uh, they sound really good. And they don't go in your ear. They don't cover your ear. They're very comfortable. I don't even notice them. I don't even notice them around my ear. And they sound absolutely fantastic to <laughs> my hearing. Basses are good. Treble is good. I So I have very positive reviews of it. Is it as good as a 9.12 Dolby Atmos? I don't know. But um, it's pretty dang good for watching. Well, and it's different, right? Because like the Vision Pro is dedicating audio towards a single person where the Dolby Atmos experiences are for this huge room that's set up, right? And I used to really be into audio when I used to work at Seton. You know, we had uh, the Seton Q or whatever it was called. And the whole goal of it was wireless 7.1 surround sound, right? So we had a wireless right. sub, wireless speakers, all these things cool. that were connected into our box that, that we were uh, building. And that was a pretty cool experience. The 
problem is I haven't had a surround sound system probably, I mean, since I work there, um, because it's just room and wires and plugs Mm -hmm. and cables. And unless you're getting it built into the walls and the ceiling, I'm just not a fan. It just doesn't look as good. Like, you know, there's a lot of new speakers that like bookshelf speakers that, but your room has to be made for it acoustically. So being able to acoustically shove audio that's spatially aware (laughs) into you is pretty nice. And obviously you get that when you go to the movie theater. I mean, that being said, movie theaters are expensive, right? Like I had the Regal pass for a long time because I'd get it on Black Friday and I never really utilize it as much. Um, There is something different like going to the theater. And then for me, it was always going to the theater like the third or fourth or fifth week because I'd want to go when there's like two other people in the theater. Like I'm not a fan anymore of like going to packed theaters in general. But I think the other problem with theaters that I have is like... You know, if the movie starts at seven, I'll just get there at seven thirty because there's about thirty minutes of trailers, and you're just like, "This is ridiculous," and that's not a great experience. Of course, like I have like regal points, like I always get free popcorn, just not get popcorn at all. But you know, to me, it's like definitely fun to go, especially if there's a movie that Heather will go with me because she's not a big movie mm-hmm. fan uh, in the theaters, but I am more so. I'm a big, I yeah. love movies and I love the experience, but. I guess it gets me out of the house. You know, I think that's what I I like about it. It, You know, I can walk to the theater and gets me out of the house. It gets me doing something. So I think that's a net positive. But um, it's cool that maybe we're getting closer to that reality of theater without having to build a theater. I think that's the magic part, right? The problem that I don't build a theater in my house (laughs) is because it looks not great, right? And I don't have a dedicated room. If I had a dedicated room where I'm building a theater, it'd be awesome and be very expensive, but I can go, you know, spend 20 bucks to go to the movies and get that. So if everyone's yeah. wearing these things, that might be a cool experience on the road. It, it just occurred to me, I should do the ultimate test. Uh, Dune part two is coming out, I think mm. this week or next week. And what I could do is watch part one in the vision pro and then take it off just as vision as uh, part two comes on at the movie theater. Yeah. And then, uh, see how it feels. But I like that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. Theaters are all about the experience. Like, yeah. What do we have anymore? We have mini golf bars, bowling alleys and movie theaters. So <sighs> gotta go somewhere and have fun. <laughs> so it's true. Um, I, uh, I'm a big, I would say our local bowling alley, man, it's packed all the time. We try to go on time. Ours like, is too. Like, sorry, no lanes. Bowling's like, back, baby. <laughs> it's great. Bowling is super fun. Uh, pinball is super fun. Yeah. Uh, dart. I mean, like a pool, pool tables. Pool, pool. Love my pool. Yeah. We do need more things to go and do that aren't food and drinking, in my opinion. That's what we're really missing no, out I on. No, I disagree. Think. I think everything needs food and drinking. Oh, I mean, no, like, no. That's It's included. The library it's, needs it's, a bar. It, it's yeah. included. It's included, Frank. Don't you worry. It's, it's in there. <laughs> But I'm saying that give more. me other have funds to do while right. I'm eating and drinking because you don't That's, just go yeah. to the bowling alley to <laughs> bowl, Frank. You go to get five dollar pitchers of Coors Light and pizza in quotes, pizza. And as you a know kid what's in the arcade, but yeah, you know what's really fun? <laughs> Pick pickleball, big pickleballer. I've only watched it. Oh, you pickleball are such paddles. a hipster, James. Pickleball. Sometimes hipsterness even catches me off guard. It's cool. It's so cool. Pickleball. I mean, I actually haven't played it yet. I only own the paddles because we got a TJ Maxx, but the time of Bahamas. Um, but um, we went to the the pickleball place and we watched the pickle pros, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, it's, it's like people between the age of six and 98. Uh, and mm-hmm. everyone's pickling. And but who beat the 98 year old? OK, no, the 98 year old just destroyed it. <laughs> but here's the thing. Every court sold out. It's just completely yeah, packed. There's absolutely. not enough stuff to go do nowadays. I need more stuff to do. Are they using like the tennis courts? Have they taken over other people's courts yet? That'd be mean. Uh, they could but convert. No, James, I only play pickleball in Vision OS. That's, that's the only place. And on that note, that's going to do it for this episode. Frank would stop talking about Vision OS. Nobody cares, Frank. Um, that's going to do it for this week. <laughs> Yes, thanks, thanks for being with us for 400 episodes. Uh, we fully support and maintain this podcast with your support over at patreon.com forward slash emerge conflict FM. If you are over on the good old YouTubes, 
Uh, if you want to support the channel, you can just go and uh, open up a browser with every single video and just let it play. Uh, and what that will do is drive our view hours, and that will help us get to monetization. Oh. Uh, that's a nice yeah. YouTube hack. We're gonna for get you. thrown off now. No, don't do that. I'm just joking. Just go <laughs> binge them, but slowly, one at a time. Um, you put them all. They're all in a playlist. Just go and say autoplay, and just listen to all of them. Even if you've already listened to all 400 episodes, they're all there. Um, I guess not all of them are on on there, but the, the back catalog, go listen to the back catalog. It helps us out. We're close to monetization. And by close, I mean, not close at all. Halfway there. <laughs> um, and then of course you can uh, support the pod by sharing with a friend, leaving a review on Apple podcasts or other podcast platforms that have reviews. I don't know if those, they exist, but they might be out there. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can follow the YouTube. You can uh, do other, is there other things you could do. Frank, what else could you do? Uh, well, we used to have a Discord, but we don't honestly hang out there too much. But we do check it from time to time. So if you yeah. want to uh, join the Discord and post something, within a few months, we'll see it. I promise. All right. That's going to do for episode 400 of Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Antomagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for watching and listening all 400 times. Peace. <laughs>